Let's talk about everyone's favorite P word, pricing. You're listening to Inbox Besties, the only little guy approved podcast that gives you dangerously practical advice for turning internet randos into subscribers with benefits. You know, the kind that pop open their wallets and throw fistfuls of cash at you for your courses and, and coaching, not like that other stuff. Perf. Now let's get to it. Well, welcome back to my inbox, besties, besties. Kate Doster here of katedoster.com. And I am super excited as always to be in your ear holes today because y'all, we have our first ever three Pete guest, one of my favoriteest peoples on the internet that I have ever met. And I know one of yours as well, according to download numbers, and that is Faith Mariah. So this is what I like to call a besties, besties chat, meaning like we sat down and we wanted to talk a lot about pricing because we know people have a lot of mindset junk when it comes to pricing and they're not quite sure how to price things, whether they're new, whether they're just starting out, they don't know how to increase their prices without pissing off their current audience. And so I want to talk to Faith because she talks a lot, not only about strategy, as you guys know, but she also talks a lot about mindset and the things that are internally holding us back that we might not think about. So in this besties chat that we have, and you're going to hear us talk about sense of identity, me talking about lifting 315 for my deadlifts, talking about creating the right kind of free content. But we're also going to be talking about if you have been charging bargain basement pricing and you want to increase what you're going to have to do to actually do this. And we talk about if you're creating something new for the very first time, how do you decide what to price stuff? And if you are used to, you know, bargain basementing yourself, or as we call it, selling yourself for like, you know, craft singles versus, you know, artisanal cheese prices, what you can do to start getting more comfortable selling those prices, how you can handle the worst case scenario. And Faith actually goes through an exercise that she talks about inside of her mastermind that she runs and her membership site with her students on a weekly basis of, okay, what happens if you are charging more and people don't get results and they start hate groups and all this sort of stuff. And I'll let Faith talk to you as we're going through this episode. So like I said, it's really just two friends sitting down talking about what's been going on with our audiences, how to deal with pricing as a whole. And we do mention a couple of different resources as well. So I'm going to link them below into the show notes. So without further ado, let's welcome our favorite guest in the world, Faith. All right, everyone. Like I had said in the intro, this is our first ever third beat guest on the show, but y'all love faith and I love faith. So before we go ahead and get started, in case there's for some odd reason, somebody did not listen to your other two episodes. Like I said, when you were talking about indulging in indecision, people just love that phrase. I'm sure it'll come up a little bit later on because we're going to talk about pricing today. Woo! Yeah, lots so of indecision around pricing. <laughs> Yeah, right. So for everybody who has not listened to your previous episodes, can you first let us know what your pronouns are and then just introduce yourself and let us know what you sell and who you are and who you help? Sure. My name is Faith Mariah. I go by she, her pronouns. I love that you're asking that on your show. I really appreciate that. And I help women scale their online businesses, their side hustle online businesses to six figures without the drama and the struggle. <laughs> but we I do things the that. fun way. We do things the fun way. <laughs> Y'all know we're barking right up my tree. Cause that's my mantra for everything. Words of the year. We're all about that. So when we were chatting about what we wanted to talk about, and for all those of you who are longtime listeners, you know how you should have our besties chats, like behind the scenes, just like me and a cup of coffee. This is just going to be like me and Faith just having a besties <laughs> chat. And we're just talking about what's been going on with our audiences. And 
something that I know we've gotten a lot of requests to talk about. And I know that Faith, you've been dealing with this a lot with your membership and mastermind is talking about setting prices and also increasing prices. So let's talk about just, we're creating something brand new. Maybe it's our first product. What should we like, how do we know where to price? Like, how do we go? Like, what do we do? We're just like, ah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. So I talk about this a lot, but I think one of the thought errors I see a lot around pricing is that there's a right price and a wrong price. And people are like, if I get the right price, people will want to buy it. And if I get the wrong price, nobody's going to buy it. And so there's kind of this belief that like, I have to get the price right, or I can't make sales when really you can really sell at any price point. And then the other thing I see a lot is like, people think that lowering prices and selling cheaper things creates demand. And I always talk about people don't necessarily want things just because they're cheap. <laughs> like, like, and you have to market just as much to sell a lower price offer as a higher price offer because low prices don't create demand. So those are kind of my top two things. So I definitely want to talk about right and wrong prices, but I want to hear more about that lower pricing doesn't create demand. Like, could you expand on that? So a lot of times people will come to me and they'll be like, I have this product. It's amazing. And no one's buying it. I don't know why. And they will think it's because of the price. So they'll just keep lowering the price thinking if I price it lower, people will want to buy it. And usually what it is, is they're not conveying the transformation and the value and telling people why they should buy it. It's usually a couple of things. And it's usually not the price. Everybody thinks it's like, well, if I lower the price, that will like fix all the problems. But usually the problems I see people having are that they're, <laughs> they're like backing out of their pitch where they're not really telling people why it's awesome and why they should pay the price. Right. And I always tell people, you don't want to be the cheapest option. Like you don't want to be competing to be the best value option. You want to have a really great offer and tell people why they should pay more for your thing. Right. So it's like, yeah, you could learn this. Like I do this with the business coaching. It's like, you could teach yourself business by Googling and watching YouTube, but you should pay me because I'm going to get your results faster. It's going to be easier. It's going to be more fun. It's going to be less drama. Right. And so I have to tell people why they should pay the, the prices that I charge to hire me as a business coach, but it's for any product, right? It's like, you got to tell people the value. So I think people think they won't have to pitch as much and they don't have to communicate as much if they lower the price that people will just want it because it's cheap, but that doesn't really, I haven't seen that work. I don't know if you've seen that work, but. <laughs> I'm going to go with maybe I do like how and I know this question is going to come up. So I'm just going to ask it now before yeah. we get there. What if they say that in their industry, it's just cheap. Like I'm selling, we had Faithly on at the beginning of the year. And she was talking about like selling printables. If they're like, well, I'm selling like reading printables. I can't charge a hundred dollars for reading principles. Like, cause no one in my industry does like, how do you combat that? Well, I think you want to like be premium price in your industry, right? So you're not going to charge $10,000 for printables, right? So you want to be premium price. <laughs> yeah. You want to be premium price for what you're offering. And you also want to be aware if you are in an industry where you can only sell things for 20, 30 bucks that you need, you're in a volume-based business and you're going to have to go get a lot more people. And you just want to be aware of that when you're picking that business model. I personally just tell people, I'm like, sell people will be like, my people don't have money. Like they don't have money. They can't afford it. I'm like, don't market to them. 
like sell to people that have money. Like, why would you sell to people that have no money? Don't do that. (laughs) Right. But it's like, you know, and again, everyone's financial situation is different, but if people don't have money, but they're chronic spenders, they're going to spend anyways. Like there are people that have lots of credit card debt and other personal debt, and they still keep buying things. Right. That's a good point. So, yeah. Like, like even the saying, people with no money can still buy your thing. <laughs> right. Really have and money. The way that I always like to tell my students, and I'm sure you must tell your people the same thing. It's like, that's what the free content is for. I'm like, I'm going to build a buyer. I know both of us, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about our backstories. Cause I don't think a lot of people have heard them. And I don't think we've talked about yours too much recently. Like we were poor. We oh, were yeah. those people that we did not have the money to spend. And at this point, like I had a family too. I know you were you and I don't know if you like the puppy yet, but it's like, I there, no, like spending that much money on that was just never going to happen. But that's when you have that free content to help people get a little bit of results to help get them going. So that way they feel like when they are investing with you, they're going to get their monies back. Cause that was the biggest thing. And I have to tell you when I did find somebody and I did invest in them, my business did grow a lot faster, but I needed to see that their free stuff could get me somewhere first. Yeah. I, and I'll say too, I've also been, I could tell you some crazy stories about being broke. I'm sure you can too. I've been like, I'm always (laughs) like, I've been the most, the most broke, (laughs) right? It's like, you're not going to outbroke me. I was like, I've been the most broke, but even when I was the most broke, it's like, I still was, I still got money to do things I wanted to do. There you go. I did. Like I've got side hustles. I got, I picked up freelance work for a while. Like I hired some very expensive coaches before I was really making probably an amount of money that that made sense. But I was like, I'm willing to do freelance work or extra work to be able to invest in the business. And so I've always invested a lot, but I just am always in the mindset of I can figure it out. And I think too, you know, I think it's disempowering to I think it's a disempowering thing to think about poor people that like my people Mm -hmm. don't have the money and they don't have the ability to get it and they don't have the ability to do the things they want. And I don't think like you're doing people necessarily a favor by being like, well, like you can't afford it and you're not going to be able to get the money. So let me like lower my prices for you. It's kind of like, it's a little offensive. I find, you know, even though people are trying to be nice about it. Yeah. Like I believe like my community can do hard things and they can figure things out. Yeah. Right. Because we're fueling leaders. That's, that's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want people that are just sitting down on their laurels. So we've gone around, maybe we have looked at what is like typical in our industry, right? So again, if you're not business to business, we're not asking you to charge $10,000 for a set of five packs of printables because you're right. Your market is not going to support that. I mean, it could, but your market normally won't support that. Um, if you can sell, if you can sell printables for $10,000, I'll hire you to do marketing for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like it, it would be the, the absolute sort of best, but like, how do we, how do we get started with something like, do you have it like, oh, if there's so much of this thing, like this is like the dollar amount range. Like, how do you even sort of tell the difference between like something that's like lower price and then it's like mid tier, something like high, like, where do I even go? Like, if this is my first product, what should I shoot for? Do you think? Yeah, I, well, I'm curious how you do it. This is how I do it. I like to sell things at a price where I really, I know I can give you more than what you're paying me. Like, I know you're going to get more value. I 
I know that like, without a doubt, I'm like, this is a great deal for you. Like, I know you're going to get more value than what you're paying me for. And I feel fairly compensated. So you do, (laughs) I've definitely priced things too low where people will buy it. And you're like, Oh God, like I have to do this whole package now. And I only charge that. And you're like almost disappointed when people buy it. That's a good sign. You should raise your prices. (laughs) Or if you get resentful, if you get yeah, resentful. you're like, oh, like all these people like taking up my time. It's because you're not probably not being compensated enough for your time. So it's finding that sweet spot of it's a great deal for them. It's like win for everyone, right? It's like a great deal for them. We're going to over deliver for them. I'm fairly compensated. My team is fairly compensated. And I feel like I want to always feel well paid and supported and not like, yeah, not like people are just taking advantage of me and like taking from me. So I try to find that kind of middle sweet spot. I do have a little bit of a controversial opinion about this. And lately I've been seeing a lot of coaches saying like, you got to charge your worth and like charge your worth. Uh, uh, makes no sense to me phrase. for a few reasons. Cause it's like your worth has nothing to do with what you charge. Like it's weird. Cause it almost ties like your worth as a human being. Like, what does that mean? Like your worth. And then the other thing is like, you need to charge in a way that makes sense to your demand. So I see a lot of people like come out the gate and they're like, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to charge my worth and like charge thousands of dollars. And it's like, well, you haven't built the demand for that necessarily, right. To be able to sell out at that price point yet. And to be able to stand behind that price point. I really, I've been coaching people lately where I tell them, you know, sell at a price where it's exciting for you. And that you feel like you can sell out, especially if you're doing coaching. So when I started doing business coaching, this is, you'll laugh at this business coaching with me is to be like $30 for 40, for a 45 minute (laughs) one-on-one. And I was like, but that's what you needed to everybody. Like, again, that's what Faith felt comfortable at at the time. We're going to talk about increasing prices in a second. This is the thing though. I'm not telling you guys to do that, but this is the thing is like, I was booked out. Like I was always sold out. Like, and so my experience selling coaching was like, I'm in demand. Like, I was just like, I felt like that song, like, all I do is win. I was like, win, win, win. All I do is win. Everybody wants to buy from me. Like, win, win, win. So I never had an experience selling things where people weren't buying, right? Because I didn't have that really Mm -hmm. price gap because I knew I was like, they were getting a steal. And so I could sell that all day long. And then obviously, like after a couple of weeks of doing that, you will not want to do one-on-one coaching for $30 for very long. (laughs) And now it's, you know, now it's like my packages start at 3000 and that wasn't that long ago. But I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it for less than that now. I'm like, I'm not, it's not worth it to me. <laughs> but, but right. But you did start somewhere. So um, did you have any reservations about going from $30 to 3000 and adding a couple of zeros? Or was it just like, no, like I'm burnt out. I'm getting resentful. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're going up. It went over time, but then it went up pretty mm-hmm. quick. I, I went from like, you know, I did like a $30 to like $30 for 45 minutes to like packages to group programs to now it's like, I'm just not, I just don't have the capacity or time. I'm sure you probably mm-hmm. feel like that too, at this stage of your, you reach a stage in your business where doing one-on-one becomes really draining and, and time consuming. And it's like, yeah. I'm just not willing to do that for less than a certain amount. And you know, I don't need the money from one-on-one. It's not like a huge revenue source for me anymore, but I got a ton of experience coaching too. And that's the thing is like, 
you know, yeah, I was undercharging, which a lot of business coaches would be like, don't undercharge. But it's like, yeah, I was undercharging, but I was also getting a ton of experience. I also like it changed my identity because it's really easy to think I'm a business coach when I'm business coaching all day. Right. Mm -hmm. It's hard to think like, oh, I'm a coach and I help people when you don't have any clients. But if you have 10 clients that you coach every week, it starts to change your identity where you're like, oh, I am a coach and I spend all day business coaching all the time. And you know, I think that identity change helped me get behind the price range, the price raises too. So I'm, you know, I think there is a middle, but I do think there's this like kind of trend right now in the industry where people are like, you know, charge your worth and like make your coaching packages. Like, you know, it shouldn't be less than this. And it's like, I don't know if you don't feel aligned with that, you're going to have a hard time selling at that price point, right? It's hard for people that have never sold any coaching to charge a thousand dollars for a package. Um, and so unless you're ready to really do the mindset work around that and get, and have people tell, you, no, this is the thing too, is like, people are going to tell, you, no, no matter what your price is. And you've got to be able to be like, no, my package is, is $3,000. That's I'm always like the offer is the offer. I'm like, that's what it costs. You want to work with me? That's what it costs. The end. Like, if you want it, that's fine. And if not, that's fine. I never feel like, oh my God, no one's buying it. I need to change the price or like lower the price. And so you've really got to be able to stand behind your price and be like, the offer is the offer and not go into all this drama about no one's going to pay that. And like, no one's buying. And like, you just haven't gotten to the right people yet. Usually is the thing. I 100% agree with that. And I want to talk about identity. I'm, I'm writing notes as we're going along, you know, okay. in chat, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I have, I have some things to say about identity. I think that it's yeah. huge, but first I just want to just echo back. We're echo chambering right now. Y'all charging what you're worth is the stupidest phrase. I think I have ever <laughs> heard in my entire life. Quote me on that. Like you're not your business. I don't care if you're a service provider. I don't care if your brand and your blog is your name. Like Kate Doster is not katedoster.com. And I think that sometimes you have to like get to a point in the business. Like I don't consider it even a business anymore. I consider it a company. And when you can have that sense of separation, I think that it's huge, but at the beginning, you're going to have those blurred lines because you're going to find just like, you know, the weight on the scale, right? People are still on that. Like, Oh, if it goes up, I'm bad. It's bad. I'm a failure. If it goes down, like I'm the best. Cause that's just where we are in Western culture. And I think that people tie that like, oh, I made a sale today. Like I'm the greatest person in the world. And then tomorrow, if they don't make one, they're like, I suck. This is miserable. Like I'm giving up. Like I can't do this anymore. Charging what you're worth is just, not only is it stupid, it's just dangerous. I think personally, I think but- that as you've got you more experience, that'll go. But what I say for pricing and people kind of hate this, but it's like, what can you say with a straight face? Because what's going to happen? I'm like, you got to pitch it with your, you're going to feel it. <laughs> You're going to feel it in your body, whether it's like, and I'm not necessarily a lot for like body testing. And I think that's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a hard concept to teach, but it's like people like second guess themselves a lot when they do it. But it's like, if you can say like, oh, it's $30 and you don't have any residual feelings after that, then go with it. But if and you people, say that and you're yeah. like, it's too high or it's too low, you can't. So it's like, oh yeah, the course is a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Coaching with me. Like it's $5,000. Right. And again, for one-on-one coaching, it's not so much like the money at this points. If we're more particular about the clients, it's like, I, who's going to be allowed to give me that money? Really? <laughs> Truly. No, and it's a great, a great place to be at. And I love, you know, just everything that you've talked about, you know, about how you might have to start a little bit lower, but we don't want to start at that resentful spot. 
we also, even though like we don't do logical, like Faith and I know that we make way more money than we probably should because we're great, right? <laughs> like we don't do logical, but we're not also expecting to have $10,000 months with a $7 product and a hundred people in our audience, right? Yeah. Like that's the, that's the other half when it comes to pricing. But I love how you talked about getting comfortable with hearing no. Could you actually talk a little bit more about that before we talk about identity? Oh yeah. So is- you're saying that people are going to say no to me when my stuff is $2 and if my stuff is $20,000. <laughs> yeah. The $2, $2 doesn't create demand. Who knew? No, I think this is important. And I, I teach this a lot where it's, we teach this whole kind of sales formula and I write all this out, but it's basically like, even if you have like a really, really crazy good conversion rate. I mean, what is that? 20%? Like that's like, you're really good at usually at marketing and sales if you're converting things at 20%. So even if you're great, even if you're great, you're one of the best, 80% of people are supposed to tell you no, like in that formula, like that's what it is. And most of the time what happens is people pitch, they kind of pitch like, kind of scared and kind of timid. And I don't know. And maybe she feels by that they pitch with all the drama. Right. And they like what you're saying, they don't say it with a straight face. They're scared. <laughs> and then people tell them no. And then they're like, I knew it. Right. And then that they use that to prove themselves. Right. And it just reinforces where they're like, Oh, I knew it was priced too high. Like no one bought. Right. So they just use the result they created right with their mindset they use that as evidence to reinforce their beliefs that created that result to begin with and that's where people usually come to me they've been stuck in that cycle for a while and so you just want to be able to you want to be able to pitch the energy is really important in sales i think more important than people realize like people are really on this like get the strategy right this is also a thought error people have about sales it's like if i get the perfect strategy and we do things in the perfect order and i post at the perfect times and i send the perfect amount of emails then people will want to buy my thing but people want to buy your thing when you love it and you love them and you show up to serve them that's what creates demand not the email thing so people are really stuck on mm-hmm. i always say it's like who, like who you're being, not how to do it, not what to do. It's who you're being. Like, are you being someone that loves your offer and stands behind your offer and loves your people and loves your community and loves you and your work and all of it, right? I love that. And that really comes into bringing it back to that whole sense of identity about like that, who are you being type of scenario. And you were talking about how you had started severely underpricing your coaching. And maybe you had to do that. Maybe it was a mindset thing. Maybe it was just to get some experience under your belt, but it started to shift your identity. How have you found, and I know this going to seem like an odd question, but how have you found identity tying into people having success or even having those higher price points? Cause I have some feelings on this and I've yet to be able to express them in any format. <laughs> identity, as far as like your shifting my identity or how I see it with other people, but just both people in general, like I 100% believe this is, this is Kate's controversial opinion. (laughs) I 100% believe that identity and how you see yourself is honestly the only thing that makes you successful, like in anything. So like I, for everyone was asking like, oh, cause you guys know, cause you're a listies for assuming your bestie as you've been listening. I've been on my health journey. Right. And like now Kate's mysteriously a power lifter. Cause what else are you going to do when you turn 37? Right. Obviously one <laughs> becomes a power lifter. So it's like, but my sense of identity had to change. Like I had always had issues with like my weight and being like, you know, 
I hate using this term guys, but you're going to hear it like, you know, the designated fat, ugly friend, like that sort of identity. So like, if I always saw myself as that type of person and it's that phrase, I'm not that type of person, or I am that type of person. And I feel like that really holds a lot of people back. And like one morning, cause like I tried losing weight, like forever, it seems like, right. Cause that's what Western society pushes on women. And I just woke up one day. I'm just like, yeah, it's just different. Uh, there was no endpoint anymore. It was just like, there was like, there was no wedding. There was no number on the scale. There was just nothing. It was just, I'm like a healthy person. I, the, I work out like, this is what I value. You know, this is the kind of thing that I do. But if you keep on thinking to yourself, well, I'm the type of person, even subconsciously, like, well, I'm the type of person, like I do really well for two weeks and then I'm, I fall back off the wagon or, you know, I will restrict, restrict, restrict. And then I'll like binge. Like if people see themselves into those patterns, they're going to never escape them. But when you're just like, nope, it's like, well, how do you stay motivated to go to the gym? I'm like, it's not, it's just, I am right. And now with that powerlifting thing, like, I just love it. Like I'm lucky. I love movement and I fell in love with it. But I think that it has a lot of sense of identity about like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. Well, I'm a, this person, well, I'm a leader. And I think that people bat up against that resistance so much. And that that's, what's keeping them there. Because like you had talked about, like when you are in your previous episode, identifying yourself as somebody who owns a seven figure business, you're going to start acting like it. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, like I'm not the type of person who can charge. That's the phrase I think I'm going for. I'm not the type of person who can charge hundred dollars for coaching. This is what I see come up with identity all the time. Cause I coach mostly women. I think a big part of women's identity is doing free labor. And like the way yeah. that we're taught to be good women is to put everybody else first, to be humble. Mm-hmm. And we're basically programmed like to undercharge and undervalue our work is part of our identity, right? It's like literally yeah. what gives you value and worth in our culture historically forever. And so I think there's a lot that comes up with identity with women with charging as far as can I charge, can I charge money and still be good and still be generous? And does that make me selfish? And can I want things for my life and want things for myself? And like, what does that mean about me? And I think there's a lot of identity stuff that comes up for women, especially around money and business, like women in business is still new. Like really, like, I mean, how long have women even been able to have businesses and, and lots of places in the world still can't have businesses. I was going to say, I think, I think that my mom was able, so my mom's a little bit older. She's a boomer. She was born in the fifties. I don't think that she could get her own bank account without her dad. It was like the seventies and like, and then they wanted my dad. They weren't even like married yet. Like you couldn't, you couldn't get anything signed off. Don't get wrong. There's still medical procedures that we're not allowed to get in the States um, without a man signing off on, which is- We still got a long way to go, y'all. <laughs> but <laughs> we can at least make this money. Like now we can have financial depend- like independence. Yeah. And I, I think- really, I want to hearken that back about, one, we'll talk about humble because I have some opinion, controversial opinions of being humble. <laughs> but but how they got controversy their- episode. <laughs> I literally had this conversation the other day. I'm like, what is being humble? It's like a lowly opinion of yourself. I think Amanda Francis brought this up one time. I'm like, I am really effing proud of what I have done. Like, again, and I think maybe that comes from the fact that like we were both poor. I'm like, I was on welfare with two kids in a sink and nothing. And I turned this into everything. Thin air, I did this. 
Why am I going to be humble about that? I'm not going to make other people feel bad because they choose to be in their nine to five or because they're still in my previous situation, but I'm going to be damn proud of what I did. Like, I'm not going to get belittled for it. Like, no. (laughs) So that I just think is so like really getting to that root cause that you had brought up about how females see themselves always as being undervalued. Cause again, but like cooking, cleaning, housekeeping, literally program to do unpaid work. Remembering work for free. That's what we're supposed to do. Like that's literally our role. (laughs) That's our job. Right. Remembering (laughs) people's birthdays. All of the free labor that no one else wants to do. (laughs) That's so interesting. And how it, do you think that people have issues with pricing because they feel that again, their identity is like, they're a bad person if they charge money. Do you also see a lot in your students? Cause it's just a hypothesis. Are they afraid that people aren't going to be able to get the value out of it and yeah, how do you help them counteract that? Yeah. I think there's a lot of imposter. We, I coach on imposter syndrome every week in the mastermind. There's certain things I feel like I coach on every, I mean, people can ask me whatever they want on the coaching calls, but there's certain things that we coach on every week. And imposter syndrome is, is one of those things. But I think that's also just like kind of human nature when you're doing something new, there's a lot of doubt and fear that comes up and our human brain wants to keep us safe. It's like, you know, your brain's job is just like, let's keep Kate alive. Like I've got to keep Kate alive in the human body. And it's like, well, I've kept, I've kept Kate alive these 37 years. I'm going to keep Kate doing the same shit she's always been doing. Cause then I can keep her alive and I know we're good. But when we start making moves that actually can change things, or we start doing something different, or we start doing something new that can really freak our brain out. Being seen publicly is really triggering for a lot of people because we used to have to be accepted by the tribe and the group for survival. Like you would literally be an outcast, like cast out of the group and die, like, and be basically sent as a death sentence, you know? So our brain still has all this weird stuff programmed in it. And I think if you understand that, this is what I try to coach on in the community. It's like, it's okay. It's just human brain doing human brain things. Right. And it's okay to doubt, can I do this? And who am I to do this? And what is happening? If you can kind of detach from that and be like, oh, I'm having human brain things. Like, let me like kind of look at that a little bit and have a lot of compassion for yourself through that. What people do is they just get on the ride. (laughs) So so brain's like, who am I to do this? And then people are like, oh my God, like, yeah, that I'm the worst. And like, they go down this like spiral for, you know, however long. (laughs) Would you rather crawl across glass naked or have to stand in line at the DMV with Taco Bell tummy? you know what I'm talking about, then actually have to write an email to your list. I mean, you don't want to come off too salesy and what if you're boring and you don't want to add to all of the noise. And somehow every single week, besides the cold sweat, you bust out with being finger tied, you know, instead of tongue tied because you're actually typing. Don't you just wish that you could just magically snap your fingers and almost have somebody else write your emails for you? Well, that's exactly what you're going to get when you invest in the email marketing fairy. The email marketing fairy template set is over 50 grab and go newsletters, welcome series, and even an 11 part sales funnel that you can use as an amazing jumping off point to actually write emails that connect with your audience, get replies, and most importantly, get those buy buttons hit. And all you need to do to get your hands on this, along with almost $100 worth of free bonuses, is by heading on over to the email marketing fairy.com. That's right, head on over to the email marketing fairy.com. And you will never have to awkwardly tell your list, hey, I know it's been a while ever again. 
I think everyone's listening is like, Faith, how dare you be looking at my diaries and, and how things are going on in my life. I feel personally called out and attacked when it comes to that. But how, so when somebody is coming to you and they are afraid that somebody is going to email them and be like, how dare you charge $97 for this? Or I can't believe that I paid $97 for this and it's crap. How do you help them deal with that fear of anticipation? Or if that situation legitly actually happens, what can we do then? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly how I would coach on this. And you guys can actually do this yourself. So if someone came on the call and said that, I would say, let's play out the worst case. Like, let's say, let's say your stuff actually is bad. And let's say like they tell everyone and they post about it and they're like, they're like, ter- they, you know, yeah. they send you the meanest email. And I'm like, what's the meanest thing they could say to you? We play out like the worst case <laughs> on the call in front of everybody. I know <laughs> we're like, I'm like, what's the worst. And we like really go there and then we play out, but like, what is the best case scenario? Like, what if the business works and what if you figure it out and what if you get to build wealth for yourself what does that look like and how does that change your life and like what are the possibilities if things go right and then the question is are you willing to risk the worst case to give yourself the possibility for the best case like are you willing to risk it and you want to make that decision and be clean like i really make them decide like well, yeah, like I'm willing to do that. And it's like, when your brain brings all that up, you can be like, I already made the decision that I'm willing to risk it. Like I understand that I'm taking the risk and I'm willing to do that. And I also coach people, this sounds weird, but I also coach people like, it's okay to feel bad. Like, it's just a feeling. <laughs> so I'm like, what? Somebody, we can feel bad. Somebody sends <laughs> somebody you an email. And, that we're but, a scamster and we stink. <laughs> yeah. If somebody sends you a mean email, like usually for most things people are scared of in business, the worst thing that happens is that they feel a feeling in their body that they don't like. But if you're yeah. willing to feel any feeling in your body, this stuff kind of starts to be less dramatic, right? So the people that are really scared about the mean email and what if no one buys my thing and like scared of all these like worst case, really when you play them out, it's like the worst that's going to happen is you feel what? Shame, guilt, bad, like, I don't know, embarrassed, like you feel some kind of negative feeling you don't want to feel. But if you're really willing, you're just like, I'm willing to feel anything I have to, to have the life I want. And I'm willing to put it all on the table and it will be fine. It will, I mean, it's going to suck, right? It's not fun to feel bad, but it's also fine. Like it's just a feeling in your human body. It will pass. I'm always like, you know, feelings are temporary. It's fine for you guys to feel bad. It's fine for you to feel shame. It's fine for you to feel embarrassed. If you just let them come and you're not running away from them, they become a lot less scary and a lot less of a big deal. Right. So I think people make build this stuff up because they're like, well, you know, yeah, the what if is a lot worse. Like even when we play out the absolute worst, it's not as bad as that letting it be unanswered of like, what if someone sends me a mean email? Like that feels really scary. But then if you play it all the way out and you're like, okay, well, what if they do? And what if like, what would that look like? And what would they say? And what's the worst thing you can imagine them saying? And you play it all the way out. You're like, I'm not willing to like give up my dreams, like to avoid that. <laughs> it's like not really that bad. <laughs> right. It's like, they, they can't have that much power. I mean, not that anyone wants to have a schmear came the campaign put up against it's them. Not like, fun. like I would like everybody to like me too, but that's just not <laughs> the internet. <laughs> that's not the internet. What are you talking about? Like, Oh, so you had said that it was okay to feel these bad feelings, like in your guts. And like, as I'm like listening to this, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I can definitely see that. How can we 
allow ourselves to like feel it. And I don't want to say honor it per se, but like feel it, but then get ourselves out of it because some people have a really hard time about pulling themselves back out. This is the thing. And this is what I teach is like, you got to feel the negative feeling and be clean. So what people do is they'll be like, you know, they'll feel bad about something. They'll be like, no one bought my thing and I'm disappointed. And then it's like, but we pile on all this stuff on top of it, where it's like, no one bought my thing and I'm disappointed and no one's ever going to buy my thing. And this always happens to me and da, 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 da. And we pile all this extra stuff on it. And so when I talk about feeling negative emotions, I teach like, feel the emotion clean. It's like, just be disappointed. You're disappointed about the launch. Just be disappointed about that. It doesn't need to mean anything else about anything. And then also people really aren't good at feeling their feelings like in their body. We're all in our head all the time. We're not really taught like to process thoughts and feelings that well in our culture. So it's like, you need to drop in your body and actually feel discomfort. And that will, it actually lets it pass faster. So it's kind of, it's kind of like the opposite of what we're taught. And I think too, in our culture, we're taught not to feel our feelings because then people end up avoiding them by eating, by Mm -hmm. buying things, by doing things that really support our our culture in a lot of ways. Right. And so it's like, don't feel your feelings, like do all this other shit. (laughs) Like, don't feel your feelings, like order a pizza. (laughs) Right. Or like, again, cause Kate's now a gym bro. They always, you see this on gym bro TikTok all the time. Like they're going to the gym. Like it's their therapy. They're fighting the demons. It's like, no, no therapy is therapy. Like, yeah, you can go fight your demons. Cause maybe you've got anger issues and this is how you're going to physically get some of that energy out. But like, you still need the therapy, Chad. Like the barbell's not going to do that. (laughs) 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 The TikTok gym bros. But yeah, I think if you just allow the feelings, they become, it's easier to get out of the people that get stuck are actually resisting them. Right. And they're actually piling, they actually are piled all this other Mm. stuff on it. But if you're just like, yeah, I'm disappointed. That sucks. And like, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, but becomes I, I a love lot easier to move through. That's why I tell people, I'm like, just feel bad. It's fine. Not because I want people to feel bad. It's because I know that's the fastest way I can get them out of it. Cause if they're like, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. It makes you make bad business decisions, first of all. And then it also like, it gets you stuck in there. Cause you're like, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel this. And it like, you know, piles on what I'm saying. So it's like, if you're just disappointed and you're just clean, disappointed, it's actually easier to move through those feelings and not get stuck. No, I love that about being clean. Cause now a lot of people are like, what do you mean by clean feeling? And from what I'm understanding, it is the launch is what you're disappointed about. It's not, I'm a failure. It's not, no one's going to buy for me. It's not my audience sucks. It's not, I suck. It's not, I've got to go work at Taco Bell. And now I'm a loser because I'm working there, which we need y'all Taco Bell people. So please don't quit. Uh, I know that I know there's mass exodus right now uh, for people working nine to fives and other jobs, but like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like no like, like please imagine exodus i think in every industry right now <laughs> like people can't I'm buy like, there's uh, so many jobs here where i live right now <laughs> right but again i'm like i know i'd never do it again i'm like no, i know no. i've been self-employed for 10 years i'm like i couldn't have a job but i need people that want jobs to help me out there's always <laughs> going to be people i think that want to work for other people right and there's people that there's nothing wrong yeah. with that yeah. I There's can't have a that. boss. I've never been good at it. I've always been mm-hmm. bad at it. I I'm not 
made for that. I've always been meant to be an entrepreneur. Just took me a long time to figure out how to do it because I was never around any entrepreneurs. I'm sure you weren't either. It's like, I don't know anybody that owns a business. Same. Like, I don't know. An, I don't, I don't know any entrepreneurs. I was not around it. I never saw it. I didn't even know there was a thing like really you could do. <laughs> just like, right. Exactly. I'm like, if only I had known this was a thing. And I try to think of like my real life. So like my mom now does, like teaches Tai Chi, but like, she doesn't consider a business. She just likes doing it. Right. And she does it to stay active. But I'm like the, in my actual, like real life. Right. I'm like, there's a person that I have met in the flesh that is an entrepreneur. And they're I like, know a lot just now. It's like, it's like their second and a half year business. Right. Like, but like Kate before I'm like, that's it. And there's nobody, nobody before me. <laughs> No. And nobody, like nobody from my, if I did see any entrepreneurs, it wasn't me. Like it wasn't like a woman. It wasn't someone that was poor. It wasn't, it was always other people that I didn't know that were like in this other world that didn't even feel, it didn't even feel possible to me, to be honest. It wasn't even something I even ever really even considered until I was in a nine to five. And I was like, I have to do something else. I had a boss that was so toxic. I was like, I'm, I'm never having another boss. <laughs> I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to leave this right. job. When I and leave like, this job, that's it. I'm never having another boss. <laughs> right. And like, I, I don't think that I had mind having a job that much. I think it's because of that. Remember I talked about identities being so much like I always identified as like the good girl. Right. And so like, I've always been like the hard worker and like the overachiever. So like I would always get into arguments with the brass, if you will, at like that mid or middle management level, because I don't care that you suck. I'm not going to lower my standards because you're awful at what you do. So I got in trouble a lot because the higher ups really liked me, but that like mid-tier cake got written up a lot, but I'm like, yeah. how are you going to write me up when you're the one that sucks? <laughs> and yeah. then when I got fired for having Athena, I'm just like, I am never doing it again. So I don't need to worry about yeah. it. <laughs> I don't do I'm well like, with people I, questioning mm-hmm. my discretion. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I just want to be able to make call all the shots. I don't want people questioning me all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. But again, not a lot of people are choosing to stomach that variability of going up and down of not having that steady paycheck. And now I was like, repulsed by that idea, but I'm not belittling anybody. And this is again, where that like humble thing comes in. I'm not belittling anybody who loves that security. I just couldn't do it. I'm like, to me, that would be like the worst. I'm like, what? You can't just like make an extra this like now, like I, mm, not for me. Like I like having that flexibility and it comes to, so it's interesting I know that, to me. Yeah. It's interesting to me how the nine to five is like taught to us and like kind of sold to us too, because people are always talk about security a lot where they're like, oh, like the job security and like entrepreneurship is risky. This is true to like an extent, but also like I know how to market and make money. I'm never going to not be able to make money. And you too. It's mm-hmm. like, even if our businesses burnt down, we would just make something else and market it because we have the skill of generating money for ourselves and we know how to market. That to me is like mm-hmm. the most job security you can ever have. Right. And then, so it's like, oh, this is more secure. And also I love that they call it benefits. <laughs> it's like your benefits. Right. So I remember leaving my nine to five. I've had, this is like the first good job I'd ever had. Right. So I had like PTO. I thought I had made it. I was like, I have paid holidays. Ooh. I have vacation. I have PTO. I have health insurance. <laughs> like we won't even talk about how much that costs. Oh my goodness. Y'all between taxes and health insurance, <laughs> but I'll but gladly now, pay them. Like- I will gladly pay them. 
Yeah. But now it's like, I mean, I pay for better health insurance than I had. I put way more money in retirement and I take off as much time as I want and I don't have to ask anybody. So it's like, what are the benefits? Like, I don't know. It's just funny to me that they call it like benefits. Like it's like this perk. (laughs) I don't know if it's maybe because they didn't, maybe because they didn't have to write a check for what their old salary used to be just to pay one quarter of taxes. Oh girl. I know. That's the part that always gets to me. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. And again, as somebody who needed the welfare system, I always try to remind myself, like, even though I know it's not really where the money is going, I always try to tell myself it's going to another family or another person that just needs a little bit of help right now, even though I'm sure my, all my funding is going to something else, but it is still mind blowingly trippy where four times a year, you're writing a check for what your annual salary was four times well, a year. I'm just not like, many Ooh. people have, I don't think that many people have an experience like that. Like you and I've had where it's like, oh, you're you vote like, you know, you were really poor. And then it was like, I was kind of doing okay. And then it's like, well, now you make over six figures. Well, now you make multiple six figures, like your taxes and like things in life are a lot different. And it is like a weird ride to be on. And obviously it's like fun and like awesome, but yeah, you still have stuff like that come up where it's like, (laughs) like how much, like what, like, it's still hard for your brand to even wrap around where you're like, yeah, that's what I used to make in a year. And now I'm paying that in a tax bill. It's like really yeah, it is a crazy experience that I don't think a lot of people have. That they could have it if they chose to. And if that lines up with their desires. And again, there's nothing wrong. I know that we always teach people to build. I don't want to say big businesses, like huge people under them, but usually high revenue businesses. There is nothing wrong. If you want to set your price low and all you're looking for is a couple hundred dollars a month, or you are talking and a love your list training. Some people really do just want to work on that many like traffic model. They just want ads. They want some affiliate income. They don't want to have to deal with students. They don't want to have to deal with product fulfillment. They don't want to have to do that. They just love creating content when they feel like it. And they're really into having traffic sources and hopefully they have stupid, simple SEO by Mike. We'll go ahead and put that down below here (laughs) in the show notes. But like, that's a business model that they like, right? But they're aware, oh, I'm going to make pennies for nine months. And then maybe I'll make a dollar and then maybe I'll make two. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, have you just to want to make that, that like I'm saying, make that decision and be clean about it. Right. So a lot of people do that and they go into a volume based business and then they have all this drama about it where it's like, it's not working. I don't know if it's going to work. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you need to understand you picked a business model. That's a volume based business that takes time. And so don't mm-hmm. like let your brain drag you around and make it so miserable all the time. What I see with most people trying to do volume-based businesses for the first time is there's so much drama. There's so much doubt. I don't think it's ever going to work. And I'm doing this and so-and-so is doing 10K months. And uh, like, it's just constant chatter. And most of those people end up quitting because of that. It's the chatter in their head. It like takes them out of the game when really it's just like, if you understand like this is supposed to take time, I picked this business model. I know it's going to take time and it's fine. <laughs> you can, you right. can get through that. That's the only way you can get through that gap. If you don't manage your brain while you're in that gap, not making money, you will quit. I see it all the time. I'm sure you do too, where it's just like people get in their head and they start being like, I don't know if it's going to work. And I've been doing this for months and I can't keep doing this for free. Those thoughts will kill your dream for you. It seems they seem so harmless. But if you think them enough times, you will give up and you've just got to make sure if you're doing a volume-based business that you really manage your brain around that. And you're like, it's supposed to take time. This is, everything is working exactly how it's supposed to. And that's the truth about that model, really. Yeah. 
Right. And again, there's nothing wrong. Just like there's nothing wrong with a nine to five. There's nothing wrong with only wanting to make a couple hundred dollars a month. Like that was awesome. And there's points in time where I'm just like, Oh my goodness, like this is the best thing ever. And that's great if that's where you want to be. So yeah. before we go ahead and head out, just because we had talked about sort of that lower price model, what if, even if we haven't gone with what we, the two of us like to refer to as a traffic volume-based model, what if we did always sort of want to sell courses or even coaching, but we had like bargain basemented ourselves with prices and now we've had like enough of enough and we want to either raise prices on our old offers or we're just like, I know that the only thing I've ever sold is something that's 27 and now I want to sell something that's 2000. How do we get our audience over that price gap and how do we get ourselves over that price gap? Or is it getting ourselves over it and that'll just affect the audience? Well, I think it's, it's all of it, right? So you've got to know the value of it and be able to tell them. I think too, you know, yeah, you might be able to bring your audience with you, especially if you're really good at, I'm always like, get people results ahead of time. So before I pitch, if I were to pitch a $2,000 offer, it's like, I'm going to get you some serious results ahead of time. I'm going to do an awesome workshop, or we're going to do a whole, my launches at this point are like huge experiences, right? It's like, we're going to do a live experience with everybody you know, we're going to do something really awesome for you before I ever ask you for money. Like I'm going to get you a result before I ever pitch to you. So you need to be able to get people, I think, results at a higher level when you're selling at higher price points than necessarily a $27 offer. And then the other thing too, is like, yeah, your audience might come with you and some of them will, you might have to go get new people. Like you might've attracted a bunch of people that want, don't want to invest. Right. And so you might've been positioning yourself in the market in a way where you attracted mainly an audience that wants to pay $27 and you might have to go get a new audience of people that want to pay $2,000. It might be different people. But the good thing is when you raise your price, you don't need as many. It's like, I need a lot of people that want $27 mm-hmm. to make 10K. If I'm selling a $2,000 thing, I don't, I only need five. <laughs> it's like, I only need five I'm people like, that want to pay 2,000. <laughs> I know I said that get was your last question. <laughs> I know that was going to be our last question, but I've got to ask this because I, I hear you all asking this. You're literally yelling at your phone, wherever you're doing right now, but how do I find the people that want to pay more faith? Where are these people hiding with their wallets? Yeah, they're, they're in, hiding under piles of money. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do. little do they know we're Scrooge ducking it right now. I do a lot of attraction based marketing. And I think you probably do too. Like I'm not going out and like, really cold pitching people. Right. It's like, but when I raised my prices and I started charging the kind of prices I charge now, it's like, I had to provide a higher level of value and speak to people that can pay. Right. And it's a different energy. It's a different energy when you're speaking to people at a level that people are only the max they're ever going to invest is $27 versus I have a $10,000 offer. Like I'm the best, I'm Mm -hmm. the best in the business. If you want the best, I have the best offer. It's the best in the business. It costs 10,000. That's what it costs. Right. And the energy is a lot different. So I think you attract different people when you're kind of in that, does that make sense? Like you're in that higher Mm -hmm. level, you kind of need to play at a higher level to attract those people. And then if you don't have drama around your price, like people don't have drama around your price. No one ever says anything to me about my prices. Cause I'm like, the price is the price. <laughs> like, do you want it or not? <laughs> so it's almost like hearkening back to that other episode about how you sort of see yourself as like that future self is it like seven, eight, 10, you know, figure earner. Right. And how are you going to show up? So it's almost thinking the reverse of that of like, how is, and what is the energy of somebody who wants to invest this going to show up? 
How are you going to be able to talk to them differently? How do they carry themselves differently? What do they value? I mean, again, there are people that are going to spend thousands of dollars on a purse or on a wheel of cheese, but then there's people that just want craft singles. And I guarantee you luxury cheese brand that's artisanal is not going to be marketing the same way that craft singles is marketing. It's just a different vibe. It's like different level of marketing, different images, different way of speaking, different level of results. And I think too, I love what you said too. I, I do that too, where it's like borrowing thoughts from your future self. And it's like, what would it be like for you to pitch at that price? Not just be able to pitch at that price and have it be comfortable, but have it be normal. Right. And just be mm-hmm. like, of course my stuff is $2,000. Like, obviously. <laughs> right. That, that is the one thing that I've always, and I know that we're both big Amanda Francis fans, but like, that is the biggest thing that I'm like, if I could ever like bottle it up and like show people like, well, of course, when I drop this pen, it's going to fall to the ground. Well, of course we're having a six figure launch. Well, of course people are going to buy that. Right. And like, you have to get into it. One of the posts I literally had on Instagram, I'll probably put a link down below. Cause it was reels. I was like, you know, some people manifest and work on, you know, G wagons and Gucci bags. And I manifested a 315 deadlift because that's what I cared about. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did the physical stuff. I had gone to the gym. I had lift heavy. The heaviest I'd ever gone was 275. There's no way. And if Nick Anderson, if you were listening to this, there's no way that you believed that I could pull 315 that day. But I knew it was going to happen because in my brain, I had practiced it. Like I literally mindset, all the stuff that we learned about, like, why would I do this? How do you just, has it feel my body to get it happen? What music am I going to happen? And I'm not one for visualizing, but I did. And I did it. And this can be for you guys too. It doesn't have to be an instant thing. Like, oh, all of a sudden I charge high prices. It might take you a little while to get up there, but you're going to get there and it'll be fine. So and it's it worth getting out of your comfort zone too. It's okay yeah. to like, it's okay to pitch at a higher price. Like I, I just told a client this the other day, she's pitching at a higher price. And she's like, I'm really nervous. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) Just pitch and be nervous. Not a problem. (laughs) Right. Nervous is just excitement. Entrepreneurship is uncomfortable sometimes. Like that's the truth. Right. And it's okay to raise your price and feel a little barfy about it. (laughs) Like after you do it a couple of times and people buy your, you'll be on the other side of it, you know? I love that. And the only way, honestly, everybody, the only way that you're going to learn about how to price and pricing your offer, just like Faith had said, the number that you're putting on the page isn't going to make the big difference for people. It's that transformation. It's learning how to talk about it, but you've got to put something out there. And this to harken back to the beginning of that right or wrong pricing. You've got to put something out at a price that you're going to adjust. And that's what we're going to call it. I don't want you looking at this. I priced it wrong. I priced it too high. I priced it too low. It is an adjustment because what's going to happen is you're going to price something too low and you're going to over deliver and you're going to get resentful and then you're going to raise it up. There might be some stuff that you price really high because you're all on yourself and then maybe it didn't sell or maybe you didn't feel like the transformation was there. What can you add to it to get comfortable at that pricing? Again, it's just adjusting. There is no right or wrong. This price isn't going to make or break you. I got one more thing. (laughs) Sorry. Go, go ahead. Like I said, this is the best I told you all. I really think too, if you're, if you're having a hard time selling, like a lot of times people are like, well, I can't even sell my $27 thing. I'm not going to offer a hundred dollar thing. Like I can't do that. But I teach too. I think having higher price offers puts your lower price things in a pricing context. So it's like, you know, all of a sudden your $50 thing might seem like a lot. And people are like, oh my God, $50 a month. That's so much. 
right? My, my, my coaching membership is $97 a month. Right. And to some people, mm-hmm. when they first come in the community, they might be like $97 a month. That's a, that's a lot. Like that's a lot of money, but then they'll see also see me coaching and selling my other packages for thousands of dollars. Right. So it's like when they see me selling a $3,000 package all month, and then all of a sudden the mastermind opens up and they're like, Whoa, like the experience is different between $97. That's a lot. And 97, like, Oh, I can work with her for $97. I thought it was going to be like Mm -hmm. thousands. And so you can put your lower price things. I think higher price things can create demand for your lower price things too. Cause it, it shows people, this is a deal. (laughs) Right. right. And then honestly, people are, I go ahead. If I didn't have the higher price offer, like the $97 thing might seem like a lot, but because we pitch higher price things, it's like, oh, $97, that's a deal. Like, hello, like, duh. Whereas, you know, if it was by itself, it might seem more expensive. Right. But I don't want everybody getting in their head being like, I know the marketing terms, like a value ladder, like, oh, I need to have a, a this price one. And then this one, and this one, no, start at something get something a little bit higher priced, especially if your audience is smaller and you're looking, your goal is to make five figures a month. You're going to have to price things a little bit higher. Again, just like for both myself and faith, when we first started out, we had to price things a little bit lower because that's what our tolerant was, but we built the muscle. We got better. And we're just like, no, 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 no. We need to raise this up. So give yourself like a limit. You need to do the math too. Like look at your audience size and your income goal and like do some actual Mm -hmm. math. Like how many do you need to sell? And do you have an audience and demand to do that? And if not, you might want to consider changing your business model. Like if you really need Mm -hmm. to make that money. Um, And I think even if you can get to 97, if you're only doing 10, 20, if you can get to 97, it's like sell five and make 500 bucks. That starts to do something for you. Right. Right. And it's like, you don't have to work so freaking hard selling your $10 thing all the time. (laughs) Right. And you know, that I tell some people, I'm like, you can actually bundle all of those little things that you have and sell it in a mega pack. Right. Yeah. If you have, and like I'm saying, do the math, if you have the traffic and it makes sense, then like you might be able to have a $10 thing. But a lot of times people are trying to sell $10 things and they have an audience of a hundred people and they're telling me they need to make $3,000 a month. And I'm like, that math does not add up. <laughs> like I can't, mm-hmm. I like, can't get you there. I'm not a magician. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, we don't do logical, but at some point, at some point I'm like, I matter. need the numbers to make some kind of possible sense. <laughs> Cause I can't get everyone to buy your stuff five times when, as we've already talked about an amazing conversion rate for pretty much any industry is 20%. And that is like astronomical. Like exceptional also. And like when you hear people, people be that. like, I had, this is a big one. Like I had a webinar, it converted 80%. I guarantee you that it happened to be like 10 people and eight people bought. And they were probably the hottest audience ever. Right. Or like there was somebody, this really got my goat. There's somebody, it was back in like the periscoping days. And they're like, Oh, I created this landing page and it at like hundred percent opt-in. Right. And then they accidentally showed their lead pages page. Right. And there was 50 people that had gone to it and it was people that they had pitched on periscope about it. Right. Or yeah, like, for like the back to business that, yeah. bundle. Like the freebies that are submitted, the free gifts that are submitted, the landing page conversion rate is usually 99 to 96%. That's because people knew they're going to it. It wasn't a cold audience. It was red hot on fire. Yeah. The conversion rates are different depending on how, yeah, how warm the leads are. It'll be totally different if you get 10 people that have never heard of you on that webinar, right? That came from Facebook ads versus 10 people that have been on your list for a year and go to all your things. It's like, you know, it's totally different, but either way, it's like, we need the math to add up. If you have a 20% conversion rate for most people is pretty fire. I would, you know, I'm pretty happy with that. (laughs) 
I love it. So where else can people hang out with Faith? I'm I'm at faithmariah.com. You can find all my things. I have a podcast. I have a Facebook group. So I've been hanging out on the Instagram a little bit. I kind of go through Instagram phases, <laughs> but I've been back over there lately. I'm the.faith.mariah on Instagram. I'm on the internet. I'm all the internet <laughs> places. All the internets and you've got your free Facebook group. We'll put a link to all of that down below everyone. Well, thank you so much, Faith, for coming for our first ever third peak guest and our first ever besties chat with another person. This was really fun. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having Inbox Besties in your ear holes today. Why don't we go ahead and make it a regular thing? Go ahead and slap that subscribe button now. And while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and take a screenshot and tag me over on your Instagram stories, Kate underscore Doster, so that way I can give you a shout out for being a bestie of the week. Later days.